Hey everyone, welcome to We're Watching Here, Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. Perry Seibert is off this week. In lieu of our regular conversations about Robert Altman and recent films we've been watching, I wanted to bring you a discussion uh, that I recently had with Cody Benjamin. Cody writes about football during the day for CBSSports.com, but he is also a very prolific and talented film writer. His work has appeared at RogerEbert.com and Brightwall Dark Room. He is also the author of a book of essays called Why We Need the Movies, which argues for the importance of the narrative experience and the theatrical experience. And it's a great read, especially in... Uh, these uh, pandemic times we're living in. Um, but he has most recently put out the book Movies from the Mountaintop, 100 plus films that express God, explore faith, and enlighten church. Uh, this is a book of essays about films that have spiritually impacted its authors. Uh, full disclosure, I have an essay in this book. It is about planes, trains, and automobiles, and I was honored to be asked to contribute. But Honestly, even if I wasn't, uh, I'd still be picking this book up. Uh, Long-time listeners know that the uh, intersection of film and faith is, is something I'm very interested in. And I know Perry and I have touched about that before. Uh, a lot of my writing has been about that. So I was really eager to pick this up. Uh, there are some really, or really great movies talked about in this book, uh, including a few that I know Perry and I have talked about, uh, including The Five Bloods, Joker, Ad Astra, First Reformed, Hail Caesar, The Last Temptation of Christ, Moneyball, so much more. This is a, a great book. There is a, a great section if you are a person interested in theology at all. Cody does a great unpacking of a passage from Ecclesiastes um, about a movie for every season in life. There are also some uh, great Q&As with people uh, ranging from Zachary Levi to Mark Wahlberg to Rob Lowe to Andrew Aaron. There, there, there's just some great stuff in here. I highly recommend this book. You can purchase it at Amazon.com. You can get it in a soft cover or in a Kindle copy. And like I said, e even if I didn't have an essay in here, I would be interested in this book. This is a, uh, a great read. Um, and I was really excited to talk with Cody about it. He has some great things to say about the power of film. Even if you're not a person of faith, even if you're not interested in that at all, I think you'll find this discussion uh, interesting because it really does speak to how film can affect all areas of our life. So I'm really eager for you to hear this. Really thankful that Cody took the time to uh, jump on late on a Monday night to talk with me. We're going to get to the interview in just a moment. But before we do that, a little bit of housekeeping. Remember that you can follow Perry on Twitter at Perry Loves Film. You can also listen to him every Friday on the Lucy Ann Lance Show. You can subscribe to my newsletter at criticisms.substack.com. That link is in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. And I want to expend, extend a special invitation to all of you in the Metro Detroit area, or those of you who might just want to take a drive. Thursday night, July 21st at 7.30 p.m., Perry and I will be co-hosting Secret Cinema at the Maple Theater in Bloomfield Hills. Secret Cinema is a great program that The Maple does twice a month on Thursdays. You buy a ticket, you show up at the movies, you have no idea what you're seeing. The only clue is that the first program of the month is a movie from Old Hollywood. The program that is the second of the month is a new Hollywood entry, and that is where Perry and I are hosting. We have a movie we've picked out. 
that we are going to show you guys. It's going to be fun. I'm excited to see this with a crowd. It's a movie that I know Perry and I have touched on before. So uh, come on out. That's Thursday, July 21st at 7.30 p.m. at the Maple Theater. You can uh, get tickets and more information at the Maple's website, which I will also put a link to in the show notes. Again, thank you for listening. We will be back in two weeks, finally getting to our discussion of Nashville, which I am very excited to bring to you. Until then, enjoy this interview with Cody Benjamin. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. I'm really excited to have you here today, Cody. Thank you for uh, for jumping on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And thanks for putting up with the alliteration and the tongue twisters <laughs> and those subtitles of the books. I, I appreciate it. I, I practiced a long time before you jumped on the call. <laughs> so it was, uh, no, um, that's, that's a very prolific list of writing for um, someone who looks fairly young. Uh, how old are you? Yeah, see, now you're going to have to make me count. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, after like you reach a certain age, like 24, and you kind of just assume you're stuck there perpetually or something, mm-hmm. 25. Um, so I was born in 94. So it is now <laughs> 2022. So I am 28. Oh, wow. Wow, man. That is a that's quite a quite a prolific resume, too. So uh, congratulations on all that, man. Uh, and welcome. Uh, this is going to go out on the Criticisms newsletter and also at We're Watching Here. So uh, you get to be on, on both the shows. So that's really, really fun. But one thing we always start off with on We're Watching Here is just kind of a quick update of something you might have been watching lately. Do you know what was the last movie you watched? Yeah, I'll give you that's an easy question to answer because um, my wife and I just went to the movie theater today to see um, Top Gun Maverick. And so I know, uh, you know, we're maybe a little bit late to the party compared to when it came out. But This was our first time seeing it. And um, that that was the last watch. And I think I'd call it a very successful watch. I think it it single handedly kind of gave the Top Gun series now uh, some depth. And so. Um, there was a lot of emotional stakes and I thought it was a, exactly the kind of movie you want to see when you're going to the movie theater. Yeah, it's, I, I, I watched the original Top Gun for, this is where I age myself, but I watched the original Top Gun for my first time in about 30 years, just about two weeks ago. Um, I, and I had watched it as a kid a little bit and then just didn't think about it ever since. And I was like, yeah, ah, before I see the new one, I might as well check the old one out again. And I did not like it as much as I did when I was 10. And, you know, it, I, I think on the Slash film cast or the film cast, they've called that a vibe film, right? It is a total yeah. commercial of a movie for Tom Cruise's charisma and the U.S. military. And so I kind of was dragging my feet going into the sequel and I loved it. It was it, it's like you said, there is depth for the first time. There are emotional stakes to it. I think Tom Cruise is just the last movie star. Um, I, I forgot how much fun it is to go and see real people do real stunts on the big screen and then also have yeah. personal stakes. Like I love a good Marvel movie, but uh, I, I enjoyed that one quite a bit. And I was actually, I, I had read your previous book, um, why we need the movies. And that's a book in which you talk a lot about the, the need for the theatrical experience 
And I was curious what you were thinking about that, because this is really the movie that right now they're kind of banking a lot of hopes on about, oh, could this save theatrical? And did you think about that at all when you when you saw it? Um, definitely. Um, and I think that part of it had to do with kind of the star appeal. You know, you mentioned it with Tom Cruise. And, and so, you know, nowadays you don't necessarily see a ton of people who are, are just making it off being a movie star. You know, they're they're uh, they're also doing Instagram ads and they're doing all these other things. I mean, Tom Cruise is the movie guy. And so I think beyond that, um, I think Top Gun Maverick is a very good example of maybe the kind of movie that needs to be made. I mean, so so nowadays, I mean, even before the pandemic, there was so much discussion and, and maybe critique about how the only movies you're getting at the movie theater anymore are these big, loud, cartoonish, you know, um, not drama, not romance, not human emotion, just wham, bam, you know, kind of stuff. But I think that Top Gun Maverick kind of is this perfect, um, you've got the nostalgia factor, you've got those audiences from the 80s coming in who saw Top Gun, um, you've got this wham, bam action, but it's, it's done in a way that, and I don't know what you think about like the new Star Wars sequel series, but I think Star Wars, The Force Awakens, whatever you think about it, I think that was a success in terms of taking an old story and bringing it into a new generation. And so I think that, um, yeah, I think it was, it, it was just a perfect model for the movie star was there, the nostalgia factor was there, but there was still enough emotional resonance to give mm-hmm. it you know, to make it worthwhile to go see. I'd agree. And uh, that provides a nice, nice transition to what I've been watching lately, which is kind of the flip side of when these uh, Lego sequels, as they're called, go wrong, is I've been catching up with the Jurassic World trilogy in preparation for mm. um, Jurassic World Dominion. And, you know, I love Jurassic Park. I think Jurassic Park is like seeing that when I was 13 years old on the big screen, that was formative that that changed me it was like it altered the chemicals in my brain um watching jurassic world i i did not quite remember how stupid it was um how and there are little pleasures little good ideas through that but um i watched that with my kids a few weeks ago and i was like oh my gosh this is this is not great this is uh (laughs) this is replacing a lot of the you know, the intelligence and the wit and really Spielberg's just kind of mastery of putting together these uh, these suspense pieces. And instead, it's just spectacle and CGI and Bryce Dallas Howard running around in high heels. And man, I did not like revisiting Jurassic World. But um, last I, night, I would. Uh, I, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, so last night, I, I actually kind of, because I'm, I'm going to write about these for my newsletter, and um, I thought, oh, okay, I finally got to get around to Fallen Kingdom, which I was like, I don't want to do this. I, I'm just going to cross my arms and just kind of sit there and get it over with. And I liked it. I, I, I like, it was stupid, but it was my kind of stupid. And yeah. uh, like, I, I think J.A. Bayona is a really solid horror director. And um, yeah there's just a few few set pieces in there i really liked and i had a good time with it so now i'm i'm kind of interested in uh seeing jurassic park dominion this week with my son so yeah well 
I'm sure that I'm sure your son, I mean, I don't know, maybe that audience, that age range will buy in too, mm-hmm. and maybe not have the standards, um, kind of like you with Top Gun, you know, oh, 30 yeah. years ago, but yeah, actually a series that, and I don't know, I don't think it's a perfect comparison, but when you're talking about the Jurassic World series, um, the Harry Potter universe came to mind for me because um, I know that's, that's a series that I grew up, you know, those movies came out as I was kind of uh, around the ballpark age of Harry Potter and his friends. And so my wife is bigger into the Harry Potter series, but we've both kind of gotten to the point with the Fantastic Beasts where, you know, the new one came out and there's just the the interest level. I mean, the bar did not really rise up for, mm-hmm. for going out to see that. And I think that um, I found like the first Fantastic Beasts movie, you know, enjoyable enough. Um, and I remember I actually, I'm not saying this just because I'm on your podcast, but I, I actually agree with you about The Fallen Kingdom. I I recall, you know, it's it's it was a fairly forgettable movie. It's not one that we were rushing to buy and bring home. But I mean, I recall being, um, I, I think that you, you know, using it as a horror, monstery, dinosaur movie. I mean, it was enjoyable enough. And so I think, whereas Top Gun Maverick maybe elevated the series um, I think kind of the Harry Potter and Jurassic worlds have kind of, you know, they've just taken little bits and pieces of what was good. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, we'll go ahead and let, let's transition to talking about your book a little bit here. Um, so I was really surprised you had sent me a PDF of the book, but um, because I wanted to display it on my shelf, I bought a copy of it on Amazon and I was shocked when this thing showed up in the mail and it's a hefty little book. Um, you got to do exercise to hold this it, thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, you're not kidding when you say it's 100 films. How many authors are in this? So there's 25 different authors that contributed essays. Some had contributed multiple. Um, and then there's an additional about a dozen or so who participated in just um, Q&As at the end of the book. Okay. So what made you decide you wanted to compile a book of essays about the intersection of film and faith? Has this always been an interest for you? Yeah, so I would say that movies have always been an interest for me, you know, long before I even knew really what it meant to have a faith. Um, I think that movies, you know, their presence, you know, my day job is writing about sports. And so both sports and movies kind of since I was young have been, you know, I've never been involved in making movies. I've never played a ton of sports, actually, but I've always had a a big interest in following the stories um, that are behind a football game, the stories that I get when I go and sit in a theater. Um, And I was always the kid in my family. Um, Everyone else was like, you know, they want to hang out with their friends. They want to go to the pool. They want to go to the mall. And I was like, like, we should go to the movies. Like, (laughs) does anyone want to go like on Friday night? And uh, I think that there was something uh, just reassuring and calming and encouraging um, about sitting in that room, whether I was there by myself or with siblings or friends. Um, And I went by myself plenty of times, but just to know that that story, me and that story were were there and no one was going to interrupt that for, for two hours or whatever. And um, I I always, I tell the story um, to to different people at different times, but I always remember my mom taking me to like a Thomas the Tank Engine movie when I was a kid. And it was like halfway through and I looked over and my mom was asleep. And I was, as a kid, I was like, mom, (laughs) are you like, are you missing this? Like Thomas the Dank Engine on the big screen. <laughs> and I think it was just, it's a good picture of like, I, I have just always been so enraptured by having that undisturbed, 
space where it's just you and the story. And so as I became, uh, as, as I kind of discovered what it was like to have Jesus be in my life, uh, to have uh, a faith and, um, you know, my beliefs kind of intersect all the different parts of my life. Um, I started asking questions, you know, uh, why is it that uh, certain movies can make me feel closer to God? Or why is it that certain movies can almost speak biblical truths, even though there's no verse plastered across the screen? And, you know, I have seen Christian movies, in quotes, um, that have been inspiring. And I've seen Christian movies, in quotes, that um, don't necessarily seem like movies I would recommend to people, even if I wanted them to share my faith. Um, and so this book was kind of the product of me getting to the point where I said, um, I, I want to see if there's other people that, that watch movies with this lens, that, that are seeking God in movies that might just be about aliens coming from outer space um, or dinosaurs roaming the earth. And so I was, I'm so privileged to have had so many different voices contribute to the project. Um, and it was, you know, of the 25 authors and the dozen or so that did Q and A's, everyone is somewhere different on the map. Some are more conservative in their beliefs. Some are more liberal, you know, some I know have different political opinions. Some grew up differently. Some think that maybe certain content in movies is objectionable and, and some don't. And uh, everyone came together still to say, uh, this movie touched me. This movie really stirred me. And I think I can see Jesus in this movie, even if uh, no one else can. And I thought that was just really cool. Um, and I, I hope that, uh, you know, my, my one goal uh, for this book was that it would just reach somebody. And maybe it introduces one person to a, a really great uh, life stirring movie. One thing you mentioned is that, uh, you know, this this kind of subset of Christian movies, like, quote unquote, Christian, they used to call them faith based a few years ago, um, it, it, that you're not talking about those movies necessarily. Right. I think a lot of people tend to jump right to, oh, it's a book about, you know, Christians and faith and movies. So there's going to be a lot of fireproof. There's going to be a lot of mm -hmm. God's not dead talk. Um one thing I really appreciated was one of the first essays in the book is someone writing about how they always liked the wrong movies, right? Yes. Like they, they would be told the quote unquote right ones to watch for a Christian. And the thing that, that made me laugh is he mentioned um, feature films for the family, which was uh, this, this company that would send out, um, you know, wholesome edited movies for families to watch and how he kind of bristled at those. And I laughed because we were subscribers to that as well. Um, okay. And I, I had to watch like the buttercream gang, like five times or Hoosiers with uh, Dennis Hopper just kind of edited out because it was about <laughs> drinking. Um, but, but I think what's, what's interesting is this book's not about that. It, it is really about, how art of all kinds can impact faith and can, can strike those conversations. I mean, I'm just going to go through, there's a few titles in here that uh, I personally, like, I was like, yes, that's in there. Um, so Moneyball, I love Moneyball. Um, you tackle a lot of Scorsese, you and your writers tackle a lot of Scorsese in here. Um, you know, there's uh, King of Comedy. I know Departed gets a mention. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ is in there, which was, 
a huge film in my uh, my my growth. Um, these are not always easy films. Um, have you read Jeffrey Overstreet's book uh, Through a Screen Darkly? Yes, I have. Yep, um, and I've also read uh, Movies Are Prayers by Josh Larson. Um, and those those books. Um, so this book was in production before I finished Through a Screen Darkly. But both of those books, I would say, are. I mean, they're on a similar wavelength. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're, you know, you, you read the title and I think about this, you know, if I have friends who aren't necessarily believers, they're, they're not really interested in learning about uh, the Christian perspective on art. Um, but I think that those books and hopefully this one, you know, if you were to actually just pick it up and read about Batman versus Superman or Calvary or, or any of these, these movies, I hope that you can see that somebody is finding something transcendent in these movies. And I think that, you know, in the movies, our prayers book, Josh Larson wrote, um, you know, Martin Scorsese has been quoted um, in director's roundtables as basically calling filmmaking his form of prayer. And I think that, you know, that is, that's justification for exploring these movies like this. Um, These are no different than, you know, somebody who creates a painting or, um, you know, writes a book or just there, there's so many different forms of art that express these these deep longings, these deep desires. Um, and I think movies are just like anyone can go to a theater and be engaged by a movie. Mm-hmm. And so to see them as more than just like I'm grabbing my popcorn and, and sometimes we do that. We just, you know, it's good to have the brainless entertainment sometimes. Um, but I think that they can be so much more. Um, and hopefully this book explores that. Well, it's funny, like I was a kid who grew up listening to Christian music because my parents made me listen to Christian music. So, uh, you know, I grew up and I was, you know, Petra, DC Talk, um, all all these Christian groups that half the listeners right now are going, what? And uh, but I never really could connect with Christian movies like like movies made for a Christian audience like that. Something about them always bounced off me. And I think it's because in recent years, I just realized, oh, they're just preaching at me. And what engages me in a movie is that sermon or or that story. You know, it's the emotion. It's someone coming to a spiritual realization or a point of decision where I'm engaged because they're doing that instead of a movie telling me this is the right way to think. This is the right way to believe. Um, and, And it's funny because there are movies that. I wouldn't think are, you know, that no one wrote them with the intention of them being Christian movies or even spiritual movies. Um, I wrote about planes, trains, and automobiles. And I don't think John Hughes wrote that saying, I want people to have an epiphany. I want, you know, it's a 90 minute movie that is heartfelt, but it's a, it's a comedy. It's a road comedy, but oh my gosh, as I've come back to that throughout the years, that is a movie that has taught me so much about loving my neighbor and having empathy for people. Um, And I think sometimes artists who don't profess any belief at all are sometimes the best people to tackle these things because they're not going in with an agenda. They're just portraying the human experience. Yeah, no, that's, that's key. I think those last two words, I mean, the human experience, I mean, isn't that what we're looking for? Isn't that what we're trying to find when we go to, you know, I don't know who's going, maybe not everyone's going to art museums these days, but like, if you're going to look at a painting, like you're moved by something because you're connecting yourself with this, you know, this human experience. I mean, um, you know, Top Gun Maverick today, um, there are just, there are 
scenes in there where, um, you know, as a, as a relatively new dad, when I see any scenes now that have anything to do with a, a kid growing up or a kid being in danger, or like these scenes are, are hitting me somewhere. Like I, I can't control it. They're just like, there's an emotional reaction in there because that's part of the human experience. Like having a loved one be um, close to you or reconciling with a loved one. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we try and explore in some of these essays that, um, you know, something doesn't necessarily have to be super um, spiritual to be spiritual, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, I think that, um, so I use an example in one of the essays towards the end of the book, talking about a friend that I have who, who does photography, and he's a Christian, um, he's a dedicated believer of Jesus, and he, um, he, he's a photographer, and he, he mostly specializes in pictures of nature. And so he'll go out and take pictures of like cabins in the woods and waterfalls. And um, none of his paintings or pictures include Bible verses. And he, he explicitly told me one time we were getting coffee and he told me that it's just one of his unwritten rules. He doesn't want to plaster it on there. Um, does that make it his work unchristian? Does that make his work any less truthful about the, the beauty in God's creation? I don't think so. At the same time, like you were talking about those Christian bands, you know, I, I really uh, started to like like hip hop music while I was in college. I actually found so like Lecrae, who was mm -hmm. just makes Christian rap. Um, you know, when I was first listening, the production design wasn't fantastic. Um, there were definitely better beats and better lyrics um, in the secular music uh, realm. But I almost needed that um, those, those watered down productions and lyrics from Lecrae, because I was just growing into my faith. I needed someone who could rap and not, uh, you know, talk down on women and talk up gang lifestyle. Like I needed that soft introduction. Now I've grown a little bit and I can understand, like I can find value in Lecrae's work and I can found value in, uh, Kendrick Lamar's work, which is, Sometimes stuff you don't want to play for your kids, but there's still some of God's truth in there. Um, so I, that's a long way of saying, I think that um, you can find um, really powerful um, emotional human experiences in those faith-based films. But I think I would encourage the church, and I hope this book does in some indirect way, I think the church mostly needs to be challenged to start watching The King of Comedy, The Five Bloods, awakenings mm -hmm. um and maybe you don't do it with the kids in the room like maybe yeah. you have the adults like but i think that so many churches so many small groups so many um just uh you know pastoral training sessions like could be fueled by engaging art that we have said is just not christian because it doesn't have uh god or jesus or a cross on the cover i think that's great uh, and it's, you know, there's so many similarities to going and sitting in a movie theater and sitting in a church, right? Like you are sitting there hoping for a transcendent experience and you are being brought into a bigger narrative. And obviously there are different considerations when you are at a worship service. There are different things at play and a deeper truth that you are pursuing. But I've walked out of the movies many times more moved than I've ever been by a sermon. Um, I, my favorite movie of this year is, um, 
everything everywhere all at once. I, I adore that movie. I thought about that movie's themes for a good two or three weeks after and how it is at once. Have you seen it? I had this. So that's a, that's a blind spot for me, but okay. I've read all about it. Yep. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll tread lightly. Um, I don't even know if there's a way to spoil it because it's so bonkers. Yeah. But, I mean, here's a movie that is about multiverses and just these crazy worlds where anything can happen and it's bonkers. And yet I'm seeing, I'm feeling tears in my eyes because it's also a movie about being a parent and the love you have for your kid in that messy relationship or looking at your life and seeing things have not turned out the way you thought they were, but is that part of a plan? Is that okay? Uh, Are your failures part of who you are and how do you move forward with that? Uh, When it feels like everything is meaningless, what is the place of hope? And it's all in this crazy movie with Michelle Yeoh and multiverses. And I love that I could walk out of that just dazed. Um, and, and, you know, it, it left me thinking about things that church sometimes wells up in me, my, my place in the world, how I live with other people. Um, I think churches definitely, I, I would love to see more churches embracing film as a tool. Um, I think a lot of times we use it as like an evangelism tool, right? It's used as the, here's the film that's going to tell everyone about what we believe and how they should believe it. And I've always thought the better use is, no, maybe we should use film as a mirror to say, how are we living? How are are we living out the things we say we believe? Uh, I remember when Passion of the Christ came out and this was, gosh, that's pushing 20 years now, but um, there was a big push by a lot of churches to use that as the tool, like, oh, grab a neighbor friend and come see Passion of the Christ. I'm like, don't do that. Like, like, don't, don't sure. do that. That's, that's not a great time out. And that movie is so focused on being a meditative experience about something that the people who are interested in it already believe that I think it works better is like, a piece to think about before communion or a just a thing to sit with on good Friday and not this thing to go out and sell, but this thing for us to reflect on how are we doing with the things we believe? What, what do we believe and, and how should that change our lives? Um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I think that's a great, a great point. Like churches should be getting more into this. Um, and, and when you're talking about, you know, about um, sometimes churches uh, taking that approach where they want a movie to be uh, kind of the replacement for the little pamphlet that you take to go and uh, convert somebody on the street, like an evangelism tool, uh, sometimes isn't a a really good test for art, whether Mm -hmm. it makes us just sit back, think about our own life, our own experiences, like really make us walk away from that thinking or appreciating or um, repenting or like, like isn't sometimes art truly effective when it just provokes um, further discussion or contemplation or reconsideration of beliefs rather than uh, directly telling you this is what's right. And, and I want to like tread carefully too, because I, I do, but like my personal belief is that like a really good movie isn't like you can watch all the great movies that give you empathy and compassion you want at the end of the day i i, I believe that you know movies aren't enough like right. i think that you you do need um you know a 
a God who will enter our world and say, like, I, I believe that that is necessary. Um, but on the flip side, I think, you know, movies to me, if I were just, you know, not that any church wants to hear my advice, I guess, on how to run um, <laughs> effective discussions and stuff. But if they were asking me, you know, I would say movies aren't necessarily to convert your neighbor. They are to make them a neighbor, if that makes sense. Like they are to invite them into a discussion to be like, wow, that was a really powerful story. Like, what do you think about that character's motivations? Like rather than your neighbor comes in, this movie preaches at them, it yells at them and they walk away like, I'm not going to go to the movies with you anymore. Um, And so I think there is a place for Passion of the Christ. But it might be in that small group where you already have a dedicated group of believers who want to know, who want to rediscover the weight of Christ's um, crucifixion, rather than the guy across the street who has no idea about church. And he might benefit from like going to see the Avengers with you um, to finally see that humanity needs rescued from someone else. Um, So I think there are so many... um, avenues that movies can can work wonders in discussions if it's approached the right way now when you were putting this book together and compiling you know your list of people you wanted to write it you know you wanted to write or movies you wanted people to cover were there certain movies where you're like okay this is going to have to be in the book i even if if no one else picks this one i'm going with this one and then i guess conversely were there any ones where you know someone suggested an essay and you're like i never thought of that before because i got to say I was I was surprised to see Batman v Superman included in this, which is a movie I don't have a lot of fondness for, but yeah. I, I, I found the essay compelling and I'm like, I'm glad they found that in that. Or you even wrote a little about Joker, which is, I think, a movie I'm quoted as saying this movie is garbage. <laughs> okay. uh, but you, you we, we could have put that on the back cover. There you go. Uh, but uh, but but you know what? You're you're writing about Joker made me think, you know. There might be something there. I, I might have to revisit this one day. Um, were there any ones you knew? Okay, this has to be in there. And then other ones where you're like, oh, that's an interesting pick. Yeah, so I would say um, the answer to the first question, yes. I think there were definitely a few. And, and obviously I'm biased you know, to the movies that really touched me. But that was kind of the point of the whole exercise is to, to get everyone's perspective on, okay, which movies have personally, spiritually, emotionally moved you? And so- most of the ones that really touched me, I, I wanted to have in there. And some of those ended up getting pick, picked up by other people. Um, so, you know, examples of that would be like First Reformed. Um, Mitch Wiley wrote about that one. And, and if that hadn't been claimed, I would have wrote about that one. Um, there were definitely some surprise. I mean, Batman versus Superman is a great example, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I actually enjoyed that movie more than most people did, but it's not one that I would have like, oh, I'm putting together a list of movies that the church could benefit from Batman versus Superman. Like I wasn't thinking that, but I was very compelled by his essay as well. Um, Dustin Markell. And I think that it's um, it, first of all, it shows that, um, you know, Abiel says he, who, who uh, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Um, you know, she mentioned in a Q and a that, you know, just like people go into church and sometimes you hear a really great sermon And you think that because it's such a great sermon that the pastor is almost like talking directly to you, but the person next to you could be experiencing it totally differently. And it's just such a a reminder that, you know, even in church, we have to value sometimes perspectives that aren't like ours. And, and so um, 
I think that there's also, it's possible to appreciate what a movie might be saying um, more than like that movie. So like Joker, for example, like we actually own the Joker movie here, but we have yet to rewatch it since watching it in the movie theaters because it's not one that you're like, oh, it's Friday night. Like maybe we should watch Joaquin Phoenix torch the city. <laughs> um, but it's one that I think I've appreciated on a, um, you know, some of the ways that we unpacked, there's just this loneliness um, mm. that's captured in that movie. This, this very destructive loneliness that I think is a darker example of what you kind of see in King of Comedy. Um, let me just look at the list here. Other ones that surprise me. Um, I mean, planes, trains, and automobiles, honestly, from you was, I think that's a perfect, we didn't have a ton of people explore deeply comedy. And so I thought that was a perfect reminder as well, just that you can find it anywhere. And I think the reason why I picked that was a, I didn't want to do something I had written about a hundred times before. Um, but you asked me right after Thanksgiving. And I think that movie was like front of my brain, like, Oh, that would be an interesting one to unpack a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't think comedy does get discussed as much. And one thing I, I really liked about this book is genre is so well represented. Um, you know, I think it's very easy to think that a film that inspires spiritual conversation and soul searching has to be something a bit austere, a bit inaccessible and Terrence Malick's in here. And I love Terrence Malick and I love yeah. Martin Scorsese. Um, and, but, but I love a good horror movie. And I think horror is such a good way to explore, you know, issues of faith and spirituality. I think comedy is a great way to explore humanity and, it's just a really great diversity in here um, right down to, I think the biggest surprise I had was you have this great section that is um, the movie for all seasons section, where it's basically you yeah. unpacking the book of Ecclesiastes, this passage from Ecclesiastes and saying, there's a movie for different times in our life. And I was not expecting Tommy boy and hot rod to be mentioned yeah. in this book, which are <laughs> two movies I really enjoy. Um but it, it does just kind of show that, you know, any movie can touch people, right? Like, I, I, I firmly believe that every movie is someone's favorite movie. Um, you know, th there is someone out there who their favorite movie of all time is, you know, The Brother Solomon, which is a fairly forgettable Will Forte. Yeah, uh, I'm trying Hader to think film. of like the worst movie possible, like to see if that yeah. would apply. Yeah, and, and I mean, there are people out there, and, and I just love that this this doesn't just go toward the obvious critic picks. Like, I was kind of surprised there isn't a whole movie or a whole section devoted to Tree of Life, which is kind of the go-to right now for thinking Christians writing about movies. And instead, it's A Hidden Life, which is a movie that I think is maybe just as good as Tree of Life. Tree of Life is one of my three favorite of all time, but... I was really kind of glad to see, oh, they're going a different take with this one, um, even though I love both those movies. But it doesn't just have to be the art-driven think pieces. You know, you can you can find depth in while you were sleeping. There's a great essay about yeah. that. And uh, I thought that was fantastic. It was just a really well-curated uh, selection of films. Um, one question you have, you have this uh, really good Q&A in the back, which includes, I think it's everyone from... Uh, Gosh, I, I know I'm blanking on the name. Why am I blank? Mark Wahlberg. Why am I blanking on that? He's like one of the most popular <laughs> actors in the world. 
you have Mark Wahlberg, Rob Lowe, but also the Irwin brothers who uh, just did, they did American underdog, I believe. And they also did a nice little documentary last year called the Jesus music that uh, I yeah. liked. Um, and the question you ask them to start off is, is kind of this question about when was the first time you realized that films had a spiritual power or component. And I wanted to turn that around and ask you that, like, when was the first time you realized this isn't just entertainment. These movies, movies can say something that, that hits me on a deeper level. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, One that I should have prepared more for, but I think that, um, so I have like a a mini answer to that. And then the real answer. So the Mm -hmm. mini answer is, is way before um, I ever like professed faith, um, professed belief in Jesus, any of that. Um, you know, when I was a kid, for some reason this came to mind right now, but watching like Indiana Jones. Um, so my stepdad introduced me to Indiana Jones. Um, he, he told me he had rented it from probably Blockbuster over dinner. And, um, I think I, I said, is, you mean Indian in the cupboard? Because like we had just recently watched that. I had no idea what Indiana Jones was. And, um, at some point during watching that, uh, I'm just thinking now, like maybe there was some kind of foundation being laid. I know that Indiana Jones is it's action adventure. It's Indiana Jones punching Nazis. It's all of that, but there is some underlying, um, uh, wrestling with a transcendent force oh, sure. in those movies. Um, and you think about, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's not an easy, I don't want to say it's not an easy watch, but it's, there's something big happening at the end of that movie that as a eight, nine year old, whatever you are, when you're watching that. And I was a kid when I watched it, like, okay, why are these Nazis not supposed to open the Ark of the Covenant? Like, Mm -hmm. what is this power that's making their heads literally explode? Um, and, and there's this, there's this, um, quiet, maybe quiet reverence, uh, reverence for um, holy things. I mean, especially in the last crusade. I mean, I'll never forget watching that as a kid. You know, why is the Holy Grail so important? Um, why is it important for Indiana Jones to let the Grail go and reach for his father? There's these things that I don't think I was unpacking as a kid, but um, these, these things about balancing um, holy truth transcendent forces and, you know, human relationships. And so I, that just came to mind. And I think that that's an example of even when you're a kid, just watching these action adventure movies, sometimes there's, there's deeper truth hidden in them as an adult um, or more recently. Um, I know we were talking about a hidden life. Um, it just, that's just one where uh, there, there definitely was, was some before a hidden life, but a hidden life is one where I watched and I had seen, um, the tree of life, they both have life in them, right? I mean, the tree of life, a hidden life. Um, so we had seen the tree of life before that. And while I respected the art of that, um, I still want to rewatch that because it didn't quite register with me emotionally the way that a hidden life did. Um, and a hidden life is one where it, you know, I don't think I'll ever stop asking the questions that a hidden life asked me, you know, when is it right to surrender what's comfortable to you for the sake of what you know is right? And, you know, at what point am I crossing the line between abandoning my family or my relationships or my career and, um, you know, not following the calling that God has for me? I, I just think there are so many powerful transcendent questions. And that, that happened to be the first movie 
that we had used for a virtual uh, film club during the pandemic with our church. And so it just seems like a fitting answer for that. That's fantastic. And I, I do love both those movies. And I think they both they both hit differently. Um, I saw Hidden Life at a uh, at a press day. We I'm part of the Detroit Film Critics Society. And we would every year in December, we do like a day where we rent a theater and the studios send out a few big releases that they want us to vote on at the end of the year. And that was one of the movies. And I remember not everyone in the theater um, was as wowed by that one as I was. I, I think they were very much, oh, it's Malik doing his, uh, you know, twirling and spinning again. And um, but I, it hit me because it was in the middle of this time where I was just constantly watching um, this faith that I had grown up in. And that was very real to me, watching people who were spokespersons for it really just kind of trample what I loved in the mud and act in a way that was antithetical to what I believed. And I'm like, how do I hold on to that and speak up for that when even the people who are professing to share this faith with me, who have led me in it growing up, are, are speaking things that I think are untrue. And I, I found that such a powerful movie about standing up, you know, for the right thing, even when it costs you everything. Um, Tree of Life, have you seen that one since you've had your children? No, and so that would probably be a prime example of, you know, because I mentioned, you know, any movie I'm thinking of, like No Time to Die with James Bond, like any movie that has anything involving, like kids, fatherhood, Mm -hmm. any of that, it's it's like an arrow directly into my core now. So maybe that one would, would really do it. Yeah, the thing to remember is that Tree of Life is is so much, it's a prayer. It's it's this uh, prayer of understanding why things happen and this kind of modern day examination of the book of Job. But I tried watching that again after my son was born and it, it floored me. I think the only movie that has hit me harder as a parent was uh, Getting Through Boyhood. Um, a, a movie that just leveled me when it came out. And still, like, I, I love it. Richard Linklater is probably my favorite working director right now. I cannot go back and watch Boyhood uh, until my son is grown and out of the house because uh, that's going to be too tough. Um, but yeah, I, I, going back to the Indiana Jones example, though, it, it reminded me, um, and Raiders of the Lost Ark is on any given day my favorite movie ever made. But um I was at church camp years ago, obviously. Um, and <laughs> the uh, the counselor got up to gave a sermon one night. And we had this counselor who was obsessed with Indiana Jones. And the elective he led was actually a bullwhip class. Like he would teach wow. you how to put a bullwhip together. And I think by the end of the week, I could actually cut a pop can in half with a uh, with a bullwhip. Really? Yeah, yeah. I was pretty good with it. And then I, I guess I lost that skill because there was no need to apply it anywhere. But um <laughs> He, he gave his uh, sermon that night and it was all about how Indiana Jones's path at the end of last crusade was like a salvation message. Um, walking in the path of the penitent, um, taking that leap of faith and then choosing humility. And I remember him wrapping it up by saying, that's why I think Indiana Jones is a Christian hero I'm like, okay, I can kind of go with that. And I think Spielberg is one of our great Christian directors. And I was like, I think he might be Jewish. I think that's a pretty big part of Steven (laughs) Spielberg. But it's funny because Raiders of the Lost Ark, I had always 
throughout the years told people, oh, it's my favorite movie because it's just a perfect engine of a movie. There's nothing deeper to worry about. It's just a thrill ride from start to finish. And it's so well put together. And I believe all that. But oh, my gosh, as I've gone back over the years, it really is this undercurrent of Indiana Jones saying, I don't need to worry about all this mumbo jumbo. I don't need to worry about all this superstition. I've got my gun. I've got my bullwhip. I'm fine. And then the end of the movie, the only thing he can do is close his eyes because he's so aware that there is a power bigger than him. And the movie somehow makes that leap with no supernatural stuff for the first hour and a half. And in the last 10 minutes, it makes that leap to this huge apocalyptic finale. And, oh, I I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, When you go to a movie, are you looking specifically for this experience or do you like to let it surprise you? Yeah, that's a good question, too. I would say that I'm at least hoping for the experience. Um, I think that um, at least in this season of my life, and maybe it will change, I'm sure it will, but um, I, I feel like I increasingly judge movies that I'm watching just by, and this is so subjective, but whether they're moving me, um, uh, I don't know if that's even possible to like figure out, okay, this one did it, this one didn't. Um, and sometimes it's, it's very subtle. Sometimes it's not until a day later or like later that night, you're like, wait a second. I think like, I actually think that did do something to me, even though in the moment I'm like, I don't really care for this. Um, So I think that when I'm going into it, um, going into watching a movie, I'm hoping that, um, and some of it might just be not necessarily spiritual as much as just emotional. Like I'm, I'm looking to be moved um, in some way. Um, I'm not necessarily always looking to be challenged, but sometimes that happens too. Um, but yeah, I, I, I certainly enjoy being surprised too. Uh, I just recently watched, so there's an essay in this book on Calvary, which a lot of the authors pointed to that as a oh, favorite. Such a good movie. Um, and I, I actually, I didn't watch it for the first time until I was basically wrapping this book up and um, it was going along and I, I appreciated it enough. And then uh, by the time it was done, I was like, and, and, and in the ensuing hours and days afterward, I'm thinking, yes, that's uh that is a perfect encapsulation, I think, of the pastor's life, the Christian's life, the Christian's calling. Even if somebody, your your friend, your cousin, who's not a Christian, watches it and says, "What the heck was that all about?" Like, I think that really captured the gospel in a very unique way. That's a great one. I, I love that movie, and I love it when they can surprise you like that at the end. Um, I, I think a movie that I've seen a lot of people chime in out which surprised me is um Lars and the Real Girl is the one I keep thinking about and I remember going to a press screening of that years ago and being embarrassed to tell anyone what I was seeing because I'm like <laughs> it's it's Ryan Gosling he falls in love with a sex doll and uh, you know and I go and I sit down and I'm like this is just gonna be weird let's just get this over with and I get to the end of the movie and I'm like that was the realest church congregation I've ever seen. That was the best example of Christian community I have seen on film in a long time. And uh, oh, I love that movie. Um, yep. Yeah. That, that one is another one that I watched because of this collection, because um, I mean, because indirectly, yeah, my catalog was expanded by these authors because they were, you know, one of the questions in the Q and A's is if you had to pick one or two movies to show every church, 
what would it be? And um, one of the uh, participants said Lars and the Real Girl. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Um, final question. So as you're, you know, if you're thinking about a volume two, 10 years down the road, who, who didn't she get uh, this time? Who, who are some readers, you, writers you love to read when they tackle this subject who you're like, I, I, I need to get them for the next version of this. That's a great uh, question. I mean, to be honest, I think, I mean, these, if I were ever to put something together again, I think more conversations with filmmakers um, would really um, help solidify. I mean, because they're the ones that are bringing the story to the screen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I know we we were able to get Andrew Irwin and I think it's a cool inclusion because most of these essays are not faith-based movies, but Andrew Irwin is somebody who is directing what you'd call faith-based movies. Mm -hmm. And yet I think he slides pretty organically into the conversation in that Q and a, but I I mean, obviously anyone who's making movies um, I mean, the easy ones you'd say would be like a Terrence Malick or Martin Scorsese, like guys who are obviously wrestling with questions of faith. But uh, honestly, I think, um, you know, aside from those filmmakers, um, you could point at, I mean, there was, I touched base with some other people who, who weren't able to participate in this project because of other obligations, but I'm thinking of, you know, other critics who are able to kind of uh, view secular art, but through a kingdom lens. I mean, I'm thinking of Alyssa Wilkinson, um, who's done work for, for Vox and, mm-hmm. you know, Josh Larson, who's written oh, yeah. movies, our prayers. Um, and so I've, I've touched base with those people individually, separate from this for other things, but Hey, if you're volunteering, I mean, we could throw you in for a half dozen essays <laughs> for the next one. There we go. I, I could start writing now. Um, no. And, and you mentioned uh, actors and stuff. I would love to hear just a full on interview with Andrew Garfield about all the, uh, all the Christian adjacent roles he has played. Like, there, there's so, there's something about him choosing these projects, um, you know, Silence, Eyes of Tammy Faye, um, Under the Banner of Heaven, uh, which is a, you know, focused on on the Mormon uh, denomination. Um, Hacksaw Ridge is another one. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear his thought process or, or why he's drawn to these, I think. And I'm sure he's talked about it elsewhere, but um, it, it, that's a fascinating choice. And uh, you brought up Andrew Irwin. I think he might be one of the few faith-based filmmakers where I'm like, yeah, his stuff is honestly just as good as anything else I would see out there. I took my son to see American underdog um, because we were talking about this before the call. He is a huge football guy. And I also wanted him to be a huge Zachary Levi guy because uh, I want to one day turn him into a big Chuck fan, but um, Uh, you know, and, and I was surprised how well that movie, um, you know, integrated its faith. It, it didn't do it in a preachy way. It was just the texture of that story. And I really appreciated that. I, 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 and I thought it was a well-made movie. Um, yeah. So that, that was a great read too. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, a couple and, and Mark Wahlberg was part of the Q and a too, and mostly for his work in father stew. And I think similarly, you know, I wouldn't call American Underdog or Father Stew perfect movies, but I think that at some level they are trying and in, at some level succeeding in kind of bridging that gap between, you know, a culture that has, has no interest in God and a community that 
firmly believes in God. And mm-hmm. I, um, yeah. And, and let me throw out the, if, if I were choosing like dream people to include, like, I want to probably talk to Denzel Washington. I mean, oh, who yeah. has, who's increasingly like gone on the record about his faith, but is just the total, I mean, you'll watch him in anything. Um, I think Adam driver is another interesting one because, you know, he was also in silence um, and he's gone on record talking about how his, playing of Kylo Ren in Star Wars was partly uh, molded by his own experience under parents who were very religious. And he was a little bit turned off by that. So there are profiles Mm -hmm. out there where he's discussed that. I think that'd be fascinating to explore um, Harrison Ford because he's Indiana Jones. (laughs) And, And I would love to hear Oscar Isaac just because I know he was once in a Christian ska band and uh, I would love to hear. He played Joseph. That That is right. Yes, he did. Nativity story movie too. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Cody, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me. Why don't you tell people where they can get this book? This is uh, movies from the mountaintop. Yep. So you can find movies from the mountaintop on Amazon. Um, You can search movies from the mountaintop, Cody Benjamin. Um, It's a hundred plus films. Uh, that express God, explore faith and enlightened church. You can find it on Amazon. It's available in paperback. If you want that thick, uh, juicy paperback copy for some reading or the Kindle version is $3.99. Um, you can get that uh, sent to you right away. So yeah, I would encourage if you're, if you like movies, um, you don't have to be a believer to enjoy, I think, exploring good films. And so, yeah, I'm grateful for you having me on and, and discussing it. All right. Cody, thank you very much. We'll get you back on again sometime too. Maybe when the second volume comes out. Okay. Well, I'll start working. <laughs> Thanks, right. Chris. Thank you.